This is the Color Pencil Podcast, session number 290. The Color Pencil Podcast is brought to you by UART Premium Sanded Paper. If you've not ever tried sanded paper before, I highly recommend UART Sanded Paper. It comes in seven different grade levels. It also comes in a beige and a dark. My preference is to work on the 800 grade level of sanded paper. But I do know color pencil artists who prefer the 600 grade. But I'll be talking more about UART sanded paper towards the middle of the show today. And we do thank UART premium sanded paper for their support of the Color Pencil Podcast. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a color pencil podcast. Weekly discussions in and around this medium that we love so much. Hey there, my name is John Middick of SharpenedArtist.com. Welcome back to the show. This is the Sharpened Artist Colored Pencil Podcast. I've got Barb Sotiropoulos joining me. So Barb, welcome back to the show. Thank you. So today we're going to be talking about color choices and color matching. Now, I know this is something that a lot of my students um, ask about. And they want to know what and how to improve in um, making the correct color choices. Colored pencil, it's a, it's a funny thing because we've got these semi-transparent layers that we usually build up to create these colors that we want. It's rare that I'm ever, uh, and Barb, you're probably working the same way, and it's usually what I advised with my students, to ever just use one color to depict an area um that's not what we see in reality you know life around us we don't see just one color uh, ever hardly so uh we see a, a whole bunch of colors we see a, a spectral range when we look at one particular hue and we want to depict that in our artwork as well but what happens is it's difficult often for us to determine what those colors are, especially if we're new to this medium or new to any medium. And that can be a difficult thing, right? Just figuring out what those colors are. So Barb and I've got a particular example of how this can go terribly wrong <laughs> and what you could do about it. So uh, color choices, you know, it's something that if if you're familiar with me at all, uh, and especially if you're one of my students, then you, you probably get tired of hearing this, but I usually, and I, I say it in a kind way. I hope, at least I hope I do, but I usually say, don't worry about the color. <laughs> Someone will say, what color? Don't worry about the color. And I'll say, don't, don't even think about the color, you know? And, uh, and then I'll say it's a, it's a, it's a uh, red or it's a blue or it's a, you know, it's a, a lavender or it's a gray or something, you know, don't think about, and don't worry about, what particular uh, type of hue that is, you know, it doesn't matter. The tonal range is what you're trying to achieve in your piece. So recently I was working on, I decided, and once in a while, you know, I, I decide I'm going to get a little creative and I'm going to go outside of my little bubble here of doing portraits and I'm just going to try my hand at a different subject matter. I've got this nice little uh, panel on uh, artifacts. It's uh, some watercolor that is fixed to this artifacts board. And I thought, hey, I'm going to try a landscape. I love I love landscapes. So I love looking at landscapes. I love artwork that's done on landscapes or done in a, in a I love landscape artwork. And so I I got my reference. Um, not that far from my house. I took some pictures and uh, of this uh, little area that I, that I enjoy. And so I tried this and I started out with uh, a watercolor colored pencil. I was using the um, Karen Dosh uh, Museum Aquarel pencils. And so I went through this landscape and did you know, that underpainting with those water soluble pencils. And then I went on top with the new palette of the uh, luminance pencils and uh, a few of those and went on top of it and added some solvent. And by the time I was done, I made this complete mess. Seriously, complete mess. And being hard no, I know it really, it, Barb's being kind. It really was a complete mess. And I, I was just like, and I was so just done with it and so exasperated 
with the whole thing. Cause I just thought, you know, I had this vision in my mind. Oh, this is going to be such a beautiful five by seven little intimate uh, landscape here. And everyone's going to look at this and just marvel. You know, I didn't go that far, but I was, I was thinking it was in your head. What's that? You built that one up in your head. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really didn't go that far with it, but I was. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a masterpiece. No, but I re- was really excited about it. And I really did think it was going to look nice. And I was, I was just thinking, wow, this is going to be great. And oh my, oh my, I was so disappointed because it just, it, it just did not look any good at all. And it still doesn't. <laughs> and I, so there were some key areas that I just really did, just didn't do very well in. And I couldn't, here was the frustrating part. Now, I know if you're new to colored pencil art or any medium that you're not familiar with or a subject matter that you're not familiar with, that you can relate to this. I got to that point where I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to fix it. And that's not real common for me to get to that point. It really is not. Um, And uh, the worst thing that I can do when I get to that point is, number one, to give up. Number two is to ask my family what's wrong with it. You know, <laughs> don't don't ask people that are going to be totally brutally honest without an answer, you know, <laughs> because I, I could ask my my oldest daughter and she would be like, oh, yeah, it's pretty bad. You know, uh, my youngest daughter would actually give me some some good feedback. But my oldest daughter, you know, and you probably have somebody like that in your life. Don't ask those people um, because unless you just want to, you know wallow in self-pity or something but anyway if you ask the right the point of the point of us talking about this though today is if you ask the right people that can actually help you with these things with your art piece have a second set of eyes then you can have a renewed perspective on it so i phoned a friend sent it over to barb and I said, what is wrong with it? I don't remember what I said. I was so exasperated at that point. I was so yeah, frustrated. Really <laughs> and I asked, I asked Barb, I said something to you. And then, um, and you got it and you gave me some very helpful advice. She went above and beyond and pointed out things to look at and circled it. Um, sent a diagram. Just, yeah, she, yeah, you really did. It was really, really good. And uh, after, what's that? <laughs> A diagram with notes. <laughs> yeah, it was it was excellent. There <laughs> <laughs> was an index. <laughs> yeah, I went a little too hardcore with it, maybe, but <laughs> no, no, you did not. No, you did not. Um, it was just I felt like I needed to Venmo you a, a couple hundred bucks or something. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. My um, mentorship fee is <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was so helpful though, and I think that's important. Uh, you know, if you don't have somebody like that, that you can, uh, talk to and get some feedback on your pieces, um, then it, it's tough. It's tough. If you're just relying on your own critique sometimes, you know, especially when you're doing a new subject matter. And I knew Barb, um, you know, she knows how to do landscapes. So what, what, what did you say was the biggest problem with it, Barb? Um, I think it was the background, right? I don't even remember now what my feedback was. I probably should. <laughs> With that big buildup, she's like, I don't know. What, what is that this? When, when did this happen? Like, I, well, I remember, I remember telling you that I thought that you were being too hard on yourself, first of all, because what? I think the email I that I got my was emotions. Like, my well, feelings are really valid. <laughs> yes, John, your feelings are valid. <laughs> Your feelings. It was like more feelings than I was used to getting from you. I was like, whoa. This is like, That's hilarious. I don't know if this, is, this feels like maybe I should be calling a psychologist to help you out with this. Or, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me see. Yeah. And let me what see. I said, Barb, if you remember, is, and I'll, I'll show okay. it here on the video if you're looking at the video. Um, I like this. What's wrong? Don't give me compliments. <laughs> did I say that? Let's see. Where yeah. is that? second sentence you're like oh yeah 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 i said what's wrong with this please don't give me compliments on it just tell me what is wrong with it and why it looks so ugly yeah (laughs) (laughs) easy Um, i think i i i uh yeah i so here's what happened i i was at this point guys where 
I could I couldn't tell what was happening. I could I I lost all objectivity and I was so connected to the piece and something didn't work out right and I could not tell what was wrong. I couldn't figure out what had happened, okay? And so I knew I wanted to ask someone who uh, could help. And so that's the reason why I sent it to Barb. And that's what I said to her. I said, what is wrong with this? I said, I would love to talk about uh, being able to do landscapes. I, this is something I've been studying and wanting to do for a while is, is uh, landscapes. And I said, but I cannot figure this out. To save my life. Wow. That was a little dramatic. Yeah, um, it was. Like it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a five by seven. Maybe it's too small, or maybe the land needs to be lighter in color. I just found um, my diagram I sent you here now. <laughs> yeah. So the fun, but so the funny thing is, is that <clears throat> all right? If this had been a portrait, I would have known exactly what was going on. I would have known precisely what to change and what to fix. Change. The subject matter on me though and i i got totally lost and i was just like i don't have the experience to even you know figure this out and i was so connected so close to this piece emotionally that it was just like i can't i can't even see that i can't even figure out what is going on i know it doesn't look right but i can't figure out why and where i need to uh work on something and maybe you can relate to that. I know some of you can, because that's what happens to us when we're so close to the piece. If it's a new medium or a new subject or whatever, sometimes you just don't know. You don't have enough experience to say, oh, this is what's wrong. Yeah, I think one of the notes that I'm looking at that I gave you here was just uh, the idea of like atmospheric distance. So that's yeah. not like you're not if you're if you're focused on subject matter, like portraits or things that are always the focus is always really up close. You're not really ever dealing with atmospheric distance and, and what not can too much, kind of, no, right. Yeah. So what, what can happen when, as, as objects move further back in space and right, you know, right. like, I, I think I gave you a photo example of a mountain range and how it's like darker up close. And as it recedes, it's, yeah. it's going to look lighter and that sort of thing. And right. Uh, I think in your particular drawing, you had um, a lot of warm tones in those trees in the background area, which was right. actually like this weird thing where it was making them pop forward more than they needed to. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, yeah, there was there was some a few things few things going on there, but uh, well, one of the no. best things you said was <laughs> you you were talking to me about. I mean, and she did do this very nice diagram of what was going on. And I will share that over there in uh, member circle. What's interesting about that is that some of these things I knew intellectually, I knew, but when she said it and she applied it to my drawing, then it was like, oh yeah, of course, you know, especially about color and value. Yeah, I may, I yeah, I made these uh, this tree line back here something that it looked like it was in the foreground. I mean, it was just like the same value even as some of the foreground. And really, to, you know, to you're right to recede that it needed to be it needed to have more atmospheric influence, and so to look more like the sky in value. Yeah, once that was pointed out, that was the biggest thing to me. That was the biggest revelation. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah, these trees look like they're right out here. I'm ready to touch them. You know, that was one of the biggest things right there. Yeah, right. totally. Totally. I think there was that was maybe the the biggest thing was that it just yeah. needed. To, but I think, you know, and we were talking about this earlier, but what tends to happen sometimes when you switch to different subject matter is you're not really. I mean, anytime you're creating anything with art, you're you're trying to duplicate reality to some extent. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and and the rules sort of change when you're you're dealing with portraiture versus something like a landscape. It's Definitely. you can try and replicate things um, the way you see them, but you also need to sort of apply knowledge of of how they actually are to to, to kind of like help recreate that um, yeah. in a medium. So right. it's uh, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much kind of just what ended up happening there is you sort of like focused in on that one area because we actually watched your time-lapse video mm -hmm. and like pinpointed the point where you should have stopped yeah yeah <laughs> in that one spot, but then for whatever reason you thought you needed to kind of go in and do more and and, and your yeah, eye you can know kind of and and there's been time. enough time between sorry there there's okay. enough time that has been between 
when when I did this and us looking at it now that I don't even recall why I kept going on that, why I kept, you know, working on it when I should have left it alone. Yeah. And I think too, like, um, I mean, if you look at your, your drawing versus the photograph that you were working from, I think you intentionally like decided to make some things darker, but what, what then happened is it sort of affected everything else. And so what I, what I would say and what I would recommend to people, um, especially if you're not, necessarily super experienced in either the subject matter you're working on or whatever is that um, if you're going to make those choices, sometimes it's, it's really beneficial if you make that choice on the actual photo. So when you're referencing back and forth, you're not, you're not trying to in your mind keep in like, you're not like, Oh, I'm going to make this tree darker. You need to actually picking. Yeah. Yeah. You need to make that tree darker either in your reference or apply whatever that lighting changes to the whole image. The whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I did. I cherry picked it from, you know, I had two different references for, for those that may not know. Um, and if you're not over there, a member circle, you wouldn't know, I guess, but I'll share all this over there. But yeah, that you're exactly right, Barb. I was cherry picking uh, from two different versions of the same reference. And I do that all the time in portraiture because you can see different details. And but I know what details to leave in and which to leave out. Uh, just by the through experience, I guess, but in portraits, but not in landscapes. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, yeah, that looks good. I'll just make the tree line really, really dark. Haven't corrected it yet. <laughs> I don't know that this I will mean, be correct this, when I put it out point, there. I would just redo it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, think I if don't you know. Were just- I, I hate to give up on pieces, especially when they're on a board like that. I I may try to rework that, though. I think it's okay though. Like the thing, the thing that I think people really need to hear is that even when you are an experienced artist, there are still times where you either make mistakes or you decide to abandon a piece. Like I try my very best to always like not, not give up, (laughs) but like there's been a couple of times where I've just been like, you know what, this has really just gone right off the rails. I need to start. (laughs) And and like, it doesn't happen super often, but at the same time it yeah. does happen. And and it's okay to, you know, have a moment where you're like, you need to show somebody else. Like, I think, mm-hmm. I think almost every artist does that. And again, it's one of those things that you just don't ever hear about because most people are not sharing those, those experiences. But I, I, yeah. yeah. I remember when we had this conversation months ago or whatever, yeah. I remember actually we both were like, this needs to be a podcast. Episode. Yeah. Yeah. We, after, after the, the the calm after the storm we were like wow we should record a podcast about this yeah you're right i value that i i gotta tell you i value that so so much having people like barb that i can go to and to say and i don't have very many people like that that i can go to uh i i don't feel like I, i'm talking about with art barb don't give me that pity face what is that about uh, no no i'm saying with with my art you know i i can't um <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I can't just go and and if you're listening today, you might be the same way. There's probably not just like 12 people that you can go to and say, what's wrong with this? You know, and here's what I would not recommend. Don't go on Facebook or Instagram and just put it out there to the world and say, tell me everything wrong with this and how to fix it. You're going to get 10 or 50 different answers and you can't do all of those. I would also but, argue yeah. you're not always going to get the, the, the right. Best feedback because you'll get conflicting answers totally and i see it all the time in the uh, i always talk about the facebook groups i'm like i'm totally like like voyeur of the facebook groups even though i don't really participate in them very much i'm I'm surveying them i guess Um, i'm I'm auditing these groups i'm auditing them Uh, truly i am just because i'm I'm always just really curious to see what people are struggling with and, and that sort of thing so Today's show is brought to you by UART Premium Sanded Paper. Now is the perfect time to try sanded paper if you've never tried it before because you can get 20% off of your order. And I'll tell you how to do that. Just go over to Dakota Pastels and just browse the large selection of UART products. Add those to your cart. Go to your cart and just type in the offer code UART20. You are 20 and you'll get 20% off. Now that's only good for listeners of the Color Pencil Podcast. Now, if you didn't have time to write that down, just head on over to the show notes 
sharpenedartist.com slash podcast, and we'll have the offer code for you available right there. Now, in case you don't know, there are seven grades to choose from with UART sanded paper. So if you've never tried a sanded paper before, this is the perfect opportunity to do that. I can't think of a better time to get started trying out sanded paper. Give UART premium sanded pastel paper a try and experience the UART difference. And we thank UART for their support of the Colored Pencil podcast. Yeah, sometimes too, I like want to join in a conversation and like three other people have said what I was going to say. And I'm like, right. I don't need to add to this. They got <laughs> like, it. People got it covered. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I see people quite often, they'll, they'll put a piece in there and they'll say, um, sometimes it's fine and they're really just overthinking yeah. it. But sometimes, you know, they'll put it in there and they're like, I need help. Tell me what's wrong with this. And sometimes I want to be like, how much time do you have? Like, and how much feedback do you really want? Because yeah. I could give you a lot of feedback on this, but what right. specifically are you looking for, for feedback? Right. You gotta I'm, narrow that down. Yeah. yeah. Cause a lot of times it's like, okay, well, if you want to start at the very basic level, we can talk about the drawing that you did because, right. but if your basic line drawing is off, it will then set everything else off a lot Absolutely. of the time. Yeah. And and, and that's like, that's just kind of a, a fundamental, but, you know, in yeah. terms of, you know, if you want to say like, I think the eyes look wrong, what is it about that? Like, yeah. sometimes when you're asking for feedback, really zeroing in on a specific part of it will ha- actually help you get better feedback sometimes. Right, and right. It's really good to have kind of either the same person or same group of people that you continually go to. Mm-hmm. And group of people i mean like under five like if you have exactly not like not like a facebook group where there's hundreds of members because there's always the same people that like to give feedback but you always have to take feedback with a bit of a grain of salt and consider the source of it right like sometimes people will only give you compliments they'll be like no it's great i think it's fine or they're like tentative about giving you feedback because they don't want to hurt your feelings and some people also don't know how to give feedback in a way that is constructive and it's not because they're trying to be hurtful or or whatever it's just that sometimes there's a way of you know it's one of the most valuable things i learned in art school from having to do critiques so often was Mm -hmm. that you know and you're talking about a class of like 20 to 30 people who are sitting there consistently looking at your art and seeing you through all your classes and, and your progression throughout four years and are able, you know, mm-hmm. feedback from them means something to me right. because like, okay, you know where I started or you're familiar with my work as a whole. Right, so, right. you know, your comments uh, are going to mean more to me because I know that you already, you know what my strengths, strengths and weaknesses are already. And it's not just coming from a place of like, sometimes the objective opinion helps, but I mean, I don't know. There's something to be said too about building trust with someone because if, if you're yep. honest with you, then you're going to get yeah. a, a lot more out of their feedback. Right. Yeah. Unless you have rapport with someone also, I don't recommend you give feedback to just the random person in the Facebook yeah. group either. You've got to have rapport with a person before you can start telling them something that is quote unquote wrong with their piece. But, uh, you know, by that same token, if we flip that coin, I guess it, when you get this feedback and you hear all these, uh, all the, all these hundred different things that you could change on your piece, who are you going to listen to? You have to discriminate between all of this uh, advice that you're given and you have to know what is valid and what isn't and what you can change and what should be changed. It's just like in portraiture, you, you can, um, you can tell me, if you look at the reference photo, you can tell me all the little details that I left out or all the details that I put in that weren't in the reference photo. And and you may give me a critique on that and tell me why I should or should not have done certain things. But I'm not going to agree with you on a lot of that because I made independent choices to include certain things and to leave out certain things. And so you as the artist, you have to have at least a little bit of confidence to be able to discriminate between what you're being told and what actually needs to change in your piece or incorporate in your piece. I think also a really good uh, point to that is that I feel like anytime I've gotten constructive feedback, the stuff that I usually end up listening to is the things that feel like a light bulb moment for me. So 
if somebody is giving you feedback and they say something and you're like, Oh, it's like something. Yes. Clicked. Like yeah. I think inherently a lot of artists, they sort of have an idea already of what it is they need to improve, but they don't know either how to identify it themselves or articulate it themselves. And right, so right. If, you're, if you're talking like, you know, you, you, it was the same thing with you. Like when I pointed out the one thing you were like, Oh, that yeah, thing, yeah. like totally, that was, yeah. that was, it, you know, and, and it'll click for you when you, when you're getting feedback from somebody and what they're saying to you is makes right. sense to, to your point. If you're making artistic choices to either leave something out or, you know, oftentimes people are posting feedback on work and, and you're not seeing the original reference photo. So it can yeah. be hard times even to give feedback on that when you don't know what you're comparing it against, right? Like you don't know what they're working from. So like, I think one of the first questions I asked you in the, in our exchange was to see what your reference photo was. Yeah. And that, that's a little bit of uh, point of embarrassment to me, actually, that I, that I didn't uh, send you the reference. I couldn't believe that. I, I actually, uh, yeah, I, I just had a middle. I had a little I had a little mini mini breakdown is what what was going on there when I sent that to Barb because I was just like I was just totally done with it and I I you know it was just you know it was a cry for help you know it was like a most of our emails were like hey do you intervention want to call is what it was super normal and this was just like <laughs> <laughs> so anyway yeah I should have sent the uh, the reference for that's one of my big pet peeves though is someone will ask ask for help. And they don't give me the reference photo or what they're twenty, what they think is wrong, or what they're trying to achieve. Um, yeah, and I mean that's that's good advice too to anyone yeah. you know, when you are seeking advice on that and you're looking for specifically technical advice. Yeah. Um, you know, providing the uh, the reference that you're working from is really important yeah, definitely. because it gives that person um, context of. You know, I mean, it's not that you can't give advice without it, but when you when you can see the reference, it really it really really helps be able to be like, oh, okay, well, this is this is like, especially when you're talking about color and value specifically, right, right. It really helps be you know helps you be able to give that person more direction. Whereas, um, you know, I mean, you can look at uh, even portraiture for that matter. I mean, I've had yeah. people send me things before and be like, okay, I'm trying to do this portrait of a child and it looks weird. What's wrong with it? And, you know, first of all, one of the first things I tell them to do is turn it upside down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which sounds funny, but it's like, yeah, start looking at it from a perspective that's different th right. than the way that you've been looking at it because right. it's that, you know, they have them in like newspapers and stuff all that time. It's like, which one of these things is different between. Oh, yeah. both. Right. And it, it's that sort of thing, right. Where it you're is. doing this comparison of like, okay, well, the eye is here and in my drawing it's here, you know, right. like you, once you see that you can correct it. And I mean, you always want to flip it back the right way again, but I find when I'm struggling with a drawing specifically, just trying to get, you know, even um, if you're able to like mirror image it somehow, like mirror image is a really big one. It yeah, really is. Whatever you can do to sort of flip that image and look yes. at it in a way that you haven't been looking at right. it for the last however many hours will. Right wonders in terms of like the actual drawing itself right. um when it comes to color yeah colors colors trickier for sure but i mean at the end of the day you're really wanting to and you know we've talked about this before but it's really about determining your tonal values correctly yeah. as opposed to um whatever the right color is like right. i think one of the biggest conversations we had in the piece that you shared with me it wasn't about you getting the right color it was about right your tones were wrong yeah it was all about tone it was all yeah. about value yeah and th and that really is uh one of the biggest um takeaways really for me because it it made me it really did make me reevaluate even the way i was approaching students um after i came away from that it was like why didn't i follow for, number one why didn't i follow my own advice and turn it to black and white and then do an overlay and look at, you know, do the side by side, like we talked about, do an overlay. And I usually do that, turn down the opacity and look at the, the reference to the, uh, to the actual drawing. And, you know, all these things that I know to do. And I didn't do that. Instead, I panicked uh, when it didn't meet my vision and I couldn't tell what was wrong. At, you know, I, I, I just I had a blind spot there uh, for a while. But I had these tools in place that I know how to do those things. But when you swapped it with a different subject matter, I just got totally lost for a moment. 
and uh, Barb was there to straighten me out. But the other thing is, yeah, when we're talking about what's that? Took some tough love, but it happened. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but with regard to you know trying to figure out the the exact color color matching, color matching is a skill. It's a it's a valuable skill. Anytime somebody starts talking about or putting too much importance on color. The shape matters, the and then the value matters after that, and then the color. And so if you're hyper-focusing on the color and you think that that color is going to somehow transform something in the piece, it most of the time won't. That's usually just a conception in our mind. You know, it's just something we kind of made up in our mind. The value is going to matter so much more. In fact, I've, I've had sort of this like renewed uh, appreciation for value, tonal structure and value and all, all of these things that, that make up the entire composition. And I, I think it kind of started, Barb, honestly, with when I had that problem with this, this landscape. Started going back to portraits then after that. Another reason why it's good to explore sometimes and go outside of your comfort zone and do other subject matters from time to time. But when I started looking back at portraits and things that I was currently doing, I started thinking more and more about that. Like, okay, this, the value structure here is so much more important. And then that color consideration is something that I'm going to worry about towards the middle and then towards the end of the drawing and not at the beginning at all. If you're just starting out, you will get there. Uh, don't worry about it, but it's something I don't even hardly think about, to be real honest. I don't think about it a whole lot until I get to uh, towards the end of the drawing process. And I think, okay, now I got to lean. I got to shift this color back. I know I was working in compliments earlier, or I was working just in, um, I don't know, a monochromatic or some kind of grizzly thing where I was just worried about values. But now I got to think about color and I will shift it to wherever it needs to be for that final rendering. But I know in the beginning how it feels. And I know you're, you're just like, oh, but I, I, but I don't even know what color to use. Here's the thing. Just ask yourself, think about the primaries. Is this a red, yellow, or blue? And if so, then what kind of red, yellow, or blue? And make, make a good guess on that. It's not going to be perfect. It never will be perfect. Do some tests watching with that on a test sheet of paper and look at it and compare it and say, okay, is this pretty close to what it uh, could be? But don't hyper focus on that and don't say, oh, this is not the exact blue. I got I to keep searching for that exact blue. Because in my opinion, it just doesn't matter. There will come a day, and you may not believe this right now, there will come a day that you will grab the pencils and it will feel, maybe it'll feel like magic. Cause sometimes it's felt like that to me. Maybe you can relate to this Barb where I'll pick the pencils and they'll be right. And you know, right in my mind, I would be like, wow, I, I nailed that color match right there. And that will come with time. It gets easier. But, and in the beginning, I try to simplify it. And I just say, I need a blue, I need a red, I need a yellow. And yeah, then I try and to oversimplify it. I think to that point, um, you know, it, there's a lot of value in, in even when you're first starting out purchasing a limited palette yeah. in, in a colored pencil set. So, for example, I know sometimes, you know, people always want to go for the 120 polychromos, but I mean, you can buy yeah. a set of 12 and learn a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and actually, I would argue you would almost don't learn more because you're you forced to learn how to mix color and adjust values yeah. to get a certain color as opposed to, um, you know, just relying on the pre-mixed color there for you already. Right. That's so, very good uh, advice. Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, and, and it's also, it's also less expensive. So if that's a, if that's an issue there you for go. you, yeah. just trying to experiment with different brands and that sort of thing. It's a really, really good thing to just try using a limited palette and it can actually, um, it can actually really push you to learn things that you didn't think you could. Right. Um, right. I, I would also say too, you know, some, you know, I was just thinking about this as you were, as you were talking just now in your image um, of the, the landscape, like there are certain things in colored pencil that are harder to render than others. So, yeah. I mean, 
that's maybe kind of an obvious statement, but I mean, you're trying to render mist in a landscape and right, right. Doing portraits like portraits. There's not a lot of um, what I'm going to call not much yeah, mist in portraits. No, but it's, it's very, <laughs> very, nostrils, you're, you're, you're not dealing with something that is um, translucent. Let's just right, say, right. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's a lot more concrete of a subject matter and solid of a subject matter. So when you're dealing with something like, again, atmospheric distortion or some sort of mist, um, there's, there's a, like, I, I always think coming from painting, I always think, okay, I know how I would do this in painting, but mm. I would have to, I would have to approach it completely differently for colored pencil. Right. So and I mean, it's the same thing, like, you know, most colored pencil artists know that it, especially if you're dealing with an area that's very white, you would leave that area white. Yeah. Whereas you know, for painting, for example, you could also just leave that area white or you know that you could later go in and paint over it if you really right. needed to. Right? Right. Like you can you layer differently in colored pencil. And so when it comes to recreating these effects in in atmosphere, especially um, it can be a little bit tricky because you almost have to, and this is kind of where the analysis part of it comes in. You almost have to like either do a test first of all, or really mm -hmm. study your reference and think, okay, how am I going to attack this? Like, how mm -hmm. am I going to recreate these colors? Because, you know, you can't always layer lighter colors over top of darker ones easily. Or, you know, sometimes right. what comes in, is knowing what happens when you do put a lighter color over top of a darker one or vice yeah. versa, right? So right. it's um, having a little bit of knowledge when you're doing more complex subject matter like that of, mm -hmm. of what your medium can do right. is, is part of the process as well. Yeah, I absolutely. Think. No, that's that's a, a very good, very good point. And that just comes with experience. I mean, you know, you, you feel like in the beginning, everyone knows more than you, but they don't. Uh, they just have experienced more failures than you have, and you're you're experiencing your failures right now, and they're micro. You know, we're not talking macro scale here. We're talking about tiny little incremental steps uh, that you can characterize as failures if you want to, but there's really no failure at all if you're learning from it, right? You're you're actually just getting feedback and learning what is not working, and so. You cross that off the list and you keep going you keep working on it and you, you'll figure out something that will work. When you do encounter some kind of failure, what you want to, whatever it is that isn't working the way you thought it was going to work, think more about that thing then and maybe take notes and write it down and, and just characterize it, you know, classify it and say, okay, this didn't work. This this particular background didn't work or this, um, you know, the way I was doing the nose and the portrait didn't work. And this is the way I approached it, you know, refer back to those notes. And the next time that you uh, do uh, that next study or practice on, you know, in a sketchbook or something like that, something you don't care about and practice noses, only noses or practice a, a tree, whatever, whatever the problem area is. And it will become something that is nearly second nature, or it, it will at least get easier the more you do it. Yeah, totally. I think there's a lot of value in sketchbook work. And mm -hmm. I, think, I think sometimes with colored pencil, it sort of gets, um, there's a lot of focus in the colored pencil community, I think, on the finished pieces and the bigger finished pieces. But I think, you know, as, as artists um, in general, Color, you know, using um, sketchbook work is actually really, really beneficial. And it's, it's times like that, that, yeah, like you can practice doing an eye, like not yeah. everything you do has to be this giant finished piece. Like right. it, it, you learn so much in those smaller drawings and those smaller pieces yeah. um, just, just because they're practice and because there's right. a safety in, and being able to, um, you know, do something and not worry that, you know, oh, I just used this giant sheet of expensive paper. And now, right, like, right. you know what I mean? Like, give yourself that freedom to, to be able to practice in a, in a space that's sort of smaller and safer, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. even anything you need to share with people, like, don't feel like you need to share that on your social media or whatever. Like, I mean, share it if you think yeah. it's valid, but um, you know, I think this experience for you, I think for sure was, 
I think it makes you a better teacher now because having had that experience, because you sort of put yourself in the position of maybe some of your students, like, and I think for, for a lot of artists, if you're in any kind of position where you're mentoring, you sort of sometimes forget um, what it's like to kind of start from a certain point. Right. So it can be be valuable to have those moments where you're struggling because you, you realize that you're pushing yourself. Right. Like I think for you, you know, you're so used to doing portraits and, and you've done obviously quite well with them, but it's like now you're doing this new subject and it's like you're used to having this, I guess, uh, satisfying response when you finish a piece all the time. And I think mm-hmm. for you, it was this, this like pushing you completely out of like an emotional comfort level because right, you're like, what right. happened? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you know, and, but I think like as uncomfortable as that is, I think it can be so valuable. Like, I used to hate drawing people. I hated it when I was younger. I used to only want to draw animals all the time because that's so funny. I was the same way. I hated drawing people. I hated Hated drawing people. I'm sure if you ever have a conversation with my sister, she'll tell you all my, my little isms (laughs) from when I was a child (laughs) in my art life. But yeah, I used to really hate it. And then at some point, and the reason I hated it is because I wasn't good at it. I just, like to be perfectly honest, I, I just wasn't good at it. And then something changed. And I, I said to myself that I wanted to be good at it. And so then I just made it my goal to, to only draw that. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's funny how, you know, it's, I think I've, I've heard others artists say this before, but it's like, if you hate, it's like, if you hate drawing a certain part of a subject or if you, if, or for whatever reason, it's probably because you're not very good at it and you need mm-hmm. to actually pay more attention to it. Like you need to, to lean into it. It's like even backgrounds, for example, right? Some people hate drawing backgrounds, but it's cause they're not good at it. Right. And it's, yeah. you know, well, that's you what they to- tell you in working out. I mean, if, you know, yeah. if you lift weights at all, I used to lift weights like crazy. And that's one of the things you do. You, you don't, you don't lift for the vanity muscles. You lift the areas that you're weakest in. And yeah. that actually helps a lot, you know. Um, it's not going to do you any good to to just keep focusing on areas that you're good at. You're, uh, sure. you're you've got blind spots. There's areas that you're ignoring. You know, there's this concept of the curse of knowledge, and that it happens to all of us. If you're writing a blog post, if you're making videos, if you're teaching students, you know, uh, in person or online, whatever it is. You get to this point after you've done something for so long and then you start teaching it or talking about it, you forget what it feels like to not know those things. And I don't care who you are. You It doesn't matter what it is. You've forgotten certain things. There's certain things about driving a vehicle. If you've been doing that for you know, 30, 50 years, you forgot what it feels like when you're 15 years old and you're trying to learn how to drive. There's just things that you um, you think in your mind about that process, and you're not you're not correct in some of those things. I'm not correct in some of those things because of the curse of knowledge. I've known it so long, I forgot what it actually feels like not to know that very thing. The pet peeves I had with my dad, he would always he's he was such a good man. I, I really really admired him a lot. But one of the things he said that just oh it just drove me crazy, especially when I was a teenager. I would say. What, how did you know that? I would, you know, challenge him on something, you know, how teenagers are. They, how did you know that? How do you know that, dad? And he'd be like, what are you talking about? It's something I've always known. Like, there's no way anyone has ever always known anything, you know? And it's like, that knowledge. <laughs> right, right. Like, Just it's up a factory model with that in there. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, but that, I think that happens to all of us, you know? Yeah, I think it's true. I think there's a lot of things that, you know, I mean, when we talked about this in another episode, just the idea of, um, you know, being able to analyze your artwork and that sort of thing. And I think what can end up happening is, you know, like you were saying earlier, you can end up doing something wrong and you just continue to do it wrong. And um, it may just be because it's something that you've never really wanted to address. And unless it comes up for whatever reason, then you just continue to do it that way. And can be said for artists who are experienced too and and it's almost harder when you know you you talk about the the curse of knowledge but it's almost like the curse of ego to some extent too because oh yeah because you you think that you know this thing and so if somebody questions you on you're like well what do you mean i know how to do this it's like do you though like right (laughs) and i think um 
you know, that that can be maybe a little bit humbling of an experience. And I'm sure it certainly was for you doing this landscape, just kind of being like, well, okay, there's, there's that. <laughs> right. I could have just like done this and it would have been fine. But I mean, there's different, um, you know, different subject matter requires, mm-hmm. uh, you know, different approaches and that sort of right. thing. And I, you know, just, you know, there's this sort of, uh, we were talking about this earlier, but not, not recorded, but it's like, there's this, <laughs> this false impression that because you're an artist, you can do anything. It's like people who think you're an artist, so you can design a logo. That's a different right. skill. Like, right. Being a graphic designer is a different skill than being an artist. Definitely. Absolutely. Like, you know, just because you can, you know, design a logo, it doesn't mean you can do a painting. Like it's, it, they, right. they, not, they're not interchangeable. So no, they're not. Uh, it comes that way with subject matter too. You can be really good at portraits. It doesn't mean you're going to be good at landscapes. It doesn't mean right. you can't get landscapes, but right. if those skills aren't necessarily always going to transfer the same way because you're, you have to approach them in different ways, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if you don't, if you don't believe that statement Barb made about, you know, um, just because you're, you're an artist doesn't mean you're a graphic designer. Um, I can prove it to you. You just go look at most artists' websites, you know, uh, the ones even that you may be looking up to and, and admiring their work. Go look at their website. And if they're not a graphic designer, uh, it's, it's just so obvious. I mean, um, if you're even using a good template, it's obvious because you don't even yeah. necessarily need to be a good graphic designer anymore. There's a lot of websites that have. Well, true. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh yeah, 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 yeah. True. Yeah. But there, but there's enough of them that, um, you know, uh, just didn't focus on that enough. And, um, they, they're putting some pretty horrendous, uh, looking websites up there, you know, so not that mine's yeah. the best ever. It's not, but I mean, when I look at, uh, at fine art artist websites, a lot of them that I see is they're just awful. Just so awful. But anyway, that's a totally different show. No, you're not wrong. I think that that's, that's one thing that uh, I think, you know, just to, just to wrap up this side rant on, (laughs) I think simple is better. Yeah. And so uh, I think, and if at any point you can use a template, try to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because I feel like there's a lot of really nice ones out there, but yeah, simple, simple is always better with those kind of things. But anyways, back to, back to, our regularly scheduled uh, topic here. <laughs> right. Okay. So we talked about um, using a limited palette, which I think is very important. Uh, so let's talk for a second here, Barb, uh, to kind of wrap up, I guess. But studying color theory is one thing, and and it's important. But obsessing about color theory and that kind of thing, I, I don't think is going to help anyone i love color theory i like to read about it and i've got some books on it and i purchased one or two this year in 2020 about it but you know there there's a limit to theory right in anything and there's a limit to learning about something and being pragmatic and actually putting the pencil to paper and figuring out how things work and so you cannot underestimate just the value of exercising those senses and going through that process and and just doing it you can read about it all day but you've got to put that into practice the thing to remember about color theory too is that it's a tool like anything else but the thing about creating art is it's so many things that just come together in 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 perfect synchrony for you to be able to create what you're creating and it's it's all those little things and i think sometimes what happens with people is they focus in so much on one technical aspect that they forget to create art (laughs) in a way yeah i mean like it's it's some of the art that I like the most, I think, is when I see a piece that has elevated the photo, the original mm-hmm. photo. Like you'll see the original photo reference and then the art. And yeah. and nine times out of ten, I'll like the art more because oh, yeah. there's something about it um, that they've either changed or mm-hmm. or amplified somehow that, you know, just makes it, whether it's through color or whatever. Right, um, right made that that image that more engaging and 
that's that's something i mean it's the difference between you know like i I think i think of it the way music is like there are people who who are very good technical musicians and they can just Mm -hmm. play whatever music is put in front of them and then there are people that play music from their soul yeah (laughs) and feel it and and just understand it yeah I like to, you know, somebody like uh, Gary Clark Jr. or BB King, like you know, blues specifically, for right. example. Right. There, that is a style of playing that oh. the it, it commands so much emotion that is needed in the way that you play it. Like you could technically play blues, but you wouldn't feel it the same way. And I feel Not like the same, yeah, yeah, you're exactly yeah, right. Like art is is sort of similar that way in the sense that um, you know you could see somebody who does hyper realism and yeah they've recreated this photo perfectly but if there's not that that something about it yeah. like that, that that emotion that somehow right. is infused in it too there's something about it that just makes you like you look at it and you're like oh that's really good and then you move on like there's nothing that's that's drawing yeah. you in extra and there and yeah that's a harder thing to teach right like that's a harder thing yeah. to teach and i think it comes with time but you yeah. know that's something that needs to be focused on too and i and i would say too that's why i think time, sometimes a lot of like impressionist art really um resonates with people because yeah. there's some sort of an emotion in, in whether it's the brush stroke or or whatever that is yeah. that's coming across to somebody and there's people want to feel something when they look at a piece of art right like right it, and maybe that's different for everyone, but I, I would think for me, um, I want to, I want to either, I want to feel something. You, you sound uh, very similar to the way that I feel about art when I see it. Yeah, I have some kind of emotional response, but if it's, and it's so weird because what I'm aspiring to do is like photorealism, but, yeah. uh, but that's not the art that that inspires me the most. I don't know why it's not. It's like impressionism uh, that um, makes me uh, feel something and, and that I appreciate even more when I see photorealistic art, I've lost there's, I hate to admit this, but I've kind of lost some of that appreciation that I used to have a little bit. It's kind of scary to admit, but um, I I haven't lost it in my own art. Apparently I'm, from a technical perspective, like yeah, I, I, maybe that's you know, it. I, don't know. I, I can do realism to a point, but some of the people, I think it's part of it for me is I don't have the patience to do hyper realism. I yeah. just, yeah. I just don't, to be honest. Yeah, I, well, I don't, I don't either. Not, not yeah. what I would call hyper realism. I want it to yeah. look representational, but I, I, but I'm not so focused on, okay, this has to look like, you know, um, like somebody used a 50 millimeter prime lens, uh, and created a, you know, this is a photo. I, I'm not, I I'm not focused on that. What's know? that? I want it to look like art. Like I feel yeah, like. Yeah, 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 exactly. And get a like sense there- of the medium even to see some of the stroke or see something in there that tells me this is art. You know, this I isn't a photo. To, yeah. I like to have that. I like to see that too. I like to see a tell of the fact that it's still yeah. an art them because yeah. i think you know again while it's really commendable to be able to do something that looks exactly like a photo to me um and and you know if that's what your what your jam is i'm not by any means trying to like anyone oh, listening right. to like put you down for that because i right. think i have so much respect for people that have that technical ability but oh, yeah. i think for my own personal taste like i just I really love that ability to still tell that it's a piece of artwork because there's that something that, that kind of gives you that idea that a human hand has, has made this and there's something That's really hard to do too. Yeah. I mean, there's something really special about that. I mean, yeah. I think even in my own work, I think that's why, I mean, I tend to have a little bit of a, more of a, in some ways, a little bit of an illustrated look to it just because, I mean, it's partly what I like, but it's also just because I think, um, you know, I, I personally just find that more more interesting. And again, yeah. while I can appreciate the other work, I I just want to see something about it that lets me know it's a piece of art and not a photo. And and photography yeah. in itself is its own art medium, as far oh, as I'm yeah, concerned. Definitely. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, think I, I appreciate all these different styles of art. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong, I, I do. I, I'm just saying that when when I'm view what I've noticed recently in the recent years is that I'm more attracted to something that gives me a sense of the medium that they were using and where yeah. it's a little more suggestive 
at times yeah. and not so uh, just rendered right down to the last little, um, you know, speck of, uh, you know, where I can see the actual little pore on on the person's uh, face you know i don't know yeah. it's i mean i my style my preference is changing a little bit also yeah. and i just don't have a an emotional response as much to something that is that realistic or rendered that tightly as i used to yeah and i think it's it's sometimes harder to 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 be able to make those choices too right like yeah. when you're when you're kind of going off book let's call it like yeah and uh, and trying to create something that's that's more creative. I mean, it's one thing that I'm focusing very tough. on. Yeah, I'm focusing on that a lot more in my own work, just in terms of like, what is my creative interpretation of this? Like, what what can I um, bring to this image or this piece of art that wasn't there before? And and it is the thing that I really like about illustration a lot of the time because those those restraints aren't there in that particular style of art, right? Like when you're dealing with realism, there's this sometimes this um this thought that you need to stay within the bounds of realism but right. i mean realism that i like is like you know taking a human face and making the skin color completely different than what's normal for from human skin like i right. think to me that's really interesting and it's and there's a technicality that's also hard in that and mm -hmm. you know it can actually be a really good um study for somebody to to do too is oh, is yeah. to try like you know, take a, take a black and white photo, colorize it with like an app or something like that and try to render right. a portrait in a magenta tone or something like, right. Oh yeah. That can actually be a really good challenge and it'll teach you a lot about tonal values and, and just the fact that like, you know, the people that are always constantly striving for the perfect color, you'll actually see how little that really matters when you're yeah. working either monochromatically or with a completely different color palette. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, and it's, I don't know, it's just, it's funny to me that, you know, I admire that kind of work, the, the real creative kind of work like that. Uh, I just think it's extremely difficult to do. I don't know that I could do it. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that I could do it. And I just tend to do what I have done. And there's some changes, obviously, when I look at my work, but when, like when I look at your work and I, and I see that you're, you know, you you are able to make something more illustrative. I to me, it that is very creative, and it is um, to me, it's so difficult to even understand how you decided you made those choices on how to not make this as representational. To me, that's so super hard. I guess that's the reason why maybe you know I have a, a visceral kind of response or emotional response. To something that I'm seeing like that, especially when it's something you feel like you can't do, you know, like yeah. I'm, I don't feel like I can do that. So when I yeah. see that done well, it's like, wow, yeah, that's that is that is the thing, you know, that I really admire and I really like. Same way when I see, though, um, you know, monochromatic stuff in uh, charcoal or graphite um, and it's more suggestive, you know, and I can see some strokes and some of the medium and then something that's rendered real tight in that. But then it's also loose in other areas, but it directs the viewer's attention to those areas that matter in that composition. Can I can I do that? Can you know when I look at different areas, you know, there there are some areas sometimes I'll look at and I'll say, okay, this would be nice to really get hyper focused in this area and then make this area over here less tight or not rendered as as uh, realistically. But I tell you th that. You've seen that done well, right, Barb? And you've seen it done yeah. very, very poorly, where yeah. it just looks like there's not enough skill level there for someone to draw that thing that they left yeah. out or that they didn't render entirely. So I, you know, I don't know where I was going with that. I just, I just thought I'd talk about it. <laughs> I think to add to that, I've seen, um, you know, it, it usually tends to be like nudes. <laughs> they've done something to render the form, and when you look, when you analyze it, they've used such a simple line or just a little bit of shading. But for whatever reason, it's so representational and but but artistic. Yeah. Time and and there's something really hard about that also to be able to do something with such a simple amount 
of color or tone and have it look a certain way. Like yeah. it's, it's the thing that I really, really love about actually. Um, Oh gosh, I can't remember his name now. He's, he's actually from, from Canada. I think he's from salmon arm. He does. Um, Oh my gosh. I can't remember his name. He does a lot of black and white portraits of celebrities mostly um, on toned huh. paper. Yeah. So Justin Moss, <laughs> I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Anyways, he, he does. Um, if you actually like break down his work and look at some of his portraiture, like maybe it was a woman doing yoga or something, but okay. anyways, it was like some of his shading work was so simple when you looked at it and yet yeah. he nailed it, like just he, nailed it. So even his portrait stuff. I mean, he'll just like have, I don't know. Sometimes it's like just a little bit of hatching uh, for representing a shadow and totally. it, it works. It looks so good. It's simple enough, yet it is uh, very, very compelling and very realistic. Yeah, I, yeah, love, I love this stuff. Camera, I don't know if people can kind of, no one's going to see this. Oh, yeah, I remember. I've seen that one. If you actually break down what he's done here in terms of color, it's so simple. So simple. But, yeah. but it's perfect. Like, oh, yeah. It's just oh, yeah, it is. You know, less is more. Less is more. And that's, you know, that that's difficult to do. It's there's something that has happened, especially, I think, in the color pencil community. And maybe it's because we have 120 in a set, you know, and whatever that we feel like we have to have, you know, this full spectral range of just all the colors. And there's something to be said about just simplifying everything and making it so much more accessible even to yourself as an artist and just trying to render things very simply. And like I, like I alluded to earlier, I guess we'll kind of wrap up here, right, Barb? <laughs> but go on it, and on and on. <laughs> yeah, we could, but in, in portraits, you know, this is something that I teach in face value, the, the portrait course. And that I, uh, that I talk about constantly with, with students is most of the time I'm only thinking about a dark value and most of the time that's, you know, blue, blue or purple. And I'm thinking about the light value and, uh, you know, in the local color for a skin tone, it's red with some yellow. And uh, that that's basically it. I'm, I'm thinking red, yellow and blue. And then, you know, you can think about, you know, get a little more complicated. If you boil all these colors down to their base level and you look at it on a color wheel, we're talking about red and yellow pretty much. And I'm talking about skin. We're talking about red and yellow. We're talking about orange. But if you draw it with orange, it's going to look so ugly and it won't look like skin. But if you use red and yellows and you think about it in that way, when you're choosing these colors and you're thinking about how much or how little of the chroma it needs to be seen here in the lights, and then when you get close to the mid range, you can put in, you know, some more purples and things like that. And you get over into the dark shadows and you know, you're going to think about darker reds. You're going to think about darker blues and things like that. I don't know. I guess maybe I'm just a real simple guy, but I just try to simplify it and just think about it in those terms. Just think, you know, what would this look like if it were easy? What would this look like if it just wasn't so complicated? And I don't like these big, long color charts about, okay, here's how to get to this particular skin color. And that may work for some people. I'm not putting it down, but what I'm saying is it, doesn't have to be that complicated. I think if um, if you actually challenge yourself to use a more limited color palette, you actually can see how much you will get out of it. Like that's yeah. one thing I learned with doing um, the art snacks uh, challenges every month, like with mm. the boxes. So the whole point is that they send you, you get like, um, I think it's like four or five or six products, depending on what's in the box that month. Yeah. And, um, you have just those products to make a drawing out of, and then you post it, and that's part of the challenge. So, oh, that's um, fun. yeah, one of the things that I thought was really valuable about that is um, oftentimes I would get, like, not often, but every now and then I would get a group of colors, and I was like, how am I going to make something out of this? <laughs> <laughs> like, just because I would hate the color combination or whatever. Yeah. But I actually 
I, I really, really took it upon myself to, to like embrace that part of the challenge and just say, okay, so now I need to decide what I'm going to draw and I need to make decisions on how much of each of these colors I'm going to use. And yeah. also, can I get more than just these four or five colors out of combining two colors? So, yeah. you know, in some cases it's like, okay, well, I've got a red and a yellow here. Well, now I automatically have another color because I can get an orange when any, any right. rain right. oranges throughout that. Right. So, right. Uh, you know, sometimes when you're, when you're working with limited color palettes, it can actually push you to learn more about color because, because you're so limited, you have to start trying to be more creative about how you yes. end up result that you want right. and um, i talk about i did a whole um a patreon post for uh for, for my patrons <laughs> that was just <laughs> on, uh, uh just on color palettes and just the idea of like how to determine a color palette and how to like use that in your artwork to try and do things more creatively and and i think um you know even if again if you're trying to do something more creative with your artwork you know i talk about um setting up a mood board for yourself before you even start the piece. So like get your, get your reference photos together and figure out what you want to do and then determine what color or overarching color you want to use. Mm -hmm. I mean, this can be good if you're planning a series of pieces, mm -hmm. um, thinking about, okay, do I want, um, you know, do I want the overarching color theme through this to be a green or mm -hmm. a blue or whatever, and then building it around right. that. There are certain things you can you do to use color to your benefit in other ways too. And, and again, the limited color palette I think is really valuable because um, you can just learn so much from it. I think people that are worried about having enough colors, it's, it, I mean, colored pencil does not mix as easily as paint granted, mm -hmm. but you know, spending some time even experimenting again in a sketchbook, combine different colors right. together, right. see what happens when you combine this, this color green and this color blue, like, what Absolutely. kind of are you going to get? You're going you're gonna to learn so much more doing that. I totally agree with that. And, and here's the other thing, though. It is going to push the limits of what you think is even possible. You're going to notice what you're lacking. And that is very valuable. You're going to say, oh, man, if I just had a, a particular uh, pink heading towards a purple, then this would be perfect right here. And you're not going to know that as easily if you've got 120 colors and you think you can just use all of them. When you're forcing yeah. yourself to use a limited palette, there's so much that I've learned just by doing that, forcing myself to mix that color and to actually create that color. The other thing is use your opposites. Use your opposite color to create your shadows. Don't go to whatever you think that shadow is or just you know think, okay, it's a shadow. I'm just going to use gray please don't use black but just try to use an opposite to whatever you know use the complement to whatever color that is and you're going to learn so much more than you than what you currently know about color theory and you're just going to build on that knowledge the more you push yourself in those areas and you keep doing it so we'll have uh, several things that we'll link up in the show notes over there so take all the notes for you go over to sharpenedartist.com slash podcast this is a weekly show. If I haven't said it lately, I really appreciate you as a listener. Thank you so much for coming back here and being faithful, listening week to week. Uh, I will talk to you again next week. And until then, stay sharp. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com.